0: Well hello, welcome back to Eldritch Girl and today we have Mason Hawthorne all the way from Australia uh, with us. Mason would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, sure,
1: so my name is Mason Hawthorne. I studied creative writing at the University of Wollongong and I've been polished in Unspeakable, a queer gothic anthology and Monsters We Forgot anthology and a few podcasts. I mostly write horror, queer fiction and gothic fiction and uh, I'm sharing some of that today.
0: Yay! Um, And you're reading an extract from um, Lead Bitter House today, right?
1: Yes, so it's Lead Bitter House, which was in the collection um, Unspeakable A Queer Gothic Anthology.
0: I'm excited. I love this story. Like when you're ready, um, if you'd like to read it for us.
1: All right, here we go. The dark under the mangroves is not absolute. Reflections, refractions of light from the water dazzle and gleam between the tangled roots and the drooping canopy. The whole dim thicket pulses and hums with insects, with the water lapping. Elijah sways on his feet, staring into the shadows, listening, his whole body bending towards it, while a hand curls over his stomach, his nails digging into his skin hard enough to leave marks, even through his t-shirt. The sarong tied around his waist is damp at the knee, dark splotches on the hand-dyed fabric, and as he steps forward, it slaps against his leg, clammy, and he twitches and glances down at himself. At the tangle of white roots and torn foliage at his feet, at his fingers black with soil and clawing at his belly, Elijah shakes himself. The sun is hot on his shoulders and the top of his head, and when he glances across the property and over the jetty between the dark clouds of the Casurinas, the river is bright as magnesium, and after a moment, Elijah blinks and the river's negative is imprinted over the garden as he turns away. Everything smells herbaceous, green and wet, though it hasn't rained for, oh, months probably. And the paddock over the fence is all brown grass and thorny weeds, the horses there forlorn and seemingly abandoned. Elijah has lost track of the time he has been in the garden, pulling the weeds, upending clods of soil onto his own lap, barefoot in the slippery grass. Nor can he remember what it was that caught his attention in the mangroves, what it was he heard or saw or... His efforts with the weeds are ineffectual. He could keep going until sunset and hardly make a dent. The whole garden is overrun. Overgrown. A shadow falls across Elijah and he turns. Behind him is a weathered man, shy of six feet, with curling white hair that falls to his shoulders and a great white beard stained nicotine yellow around his mouth. His skin is raw and broken, sunspots and cracks and spidery veins cross his cheeks, and his nose glows red. There's a boil under his left eye, inflamed and fit to burst. Are you Mr. Davies, right? Are you the uh, gardener? The man has a coiled green hose in his arms and he scowls, groundskeeper. Oh, Elijah's hands curl and uncurl, twisting the hem of his shirt until fabric strains and his knuckles creak. But you do look after the gardens, yeah? Davy's expression doesn't change, he scowls, nods once and lifts the gnarled hand to scratch at his cheek. A drop of blood wells from the boil, but if it hurts, he doesn't react to it. At this garden, I mean, those, those tomatoes are going crazy, but everything else, there are so many weeds and the zucchinis are all rotten, they're mush. Elijah is out of breath, his heart thuds so hard, his pulse flutters in his throat, his knuckles are white. I take care of it. Davy scratches again, and this time his ragged nail catches the skin and the boil splits. Something green sprouts out of the hole in his face and blood drips all the way down to his beard. The green thing unfurls, standing up out of the hole in his cheek what what does that mean Elijah's voice pitches high and strained and he gestures to the overgrown garden beds the weeds and the thorns this doesn't look taken care of I don't I mean I don't want to tell you how to do your job but this isn't taken care of I work for the house Davy spits he picks at the thing growing out of his face and pulls it free and out comes long and greenish white and the crater in his cheek is a pit of blood Elijah gates at Davies wordlessly, then skirts around him and backs toward the kitchen porch. Davies watches him the whole way, until the door is shut between them. Fuck, Elijah says to the stillness of the kitchen. What the fuck? He drifts through the house, feeling the hardwood floor and then the hall carpet under his bare feet. Vaguely, the thought occurs that he ought to change or bathe or something. But then he's in the sitting room, where he had, has begun to work at clearing the mantle. He's been doing a half assed Marie Kondo. The stuff is sorted into three piles to chuck and to donate. And so far, the keep pile has a single small figurine of a bird. In the morning, he'd gotten into a kind of rhythm, clearing out the junk and making some small progress in claiming the house for himself. Now he struggles to begin again, picking things up and shuffling around. And then the rev of a car engine outside makes him jump. And he turns and looks out just in time to catch the taillights of his cousin's flashing car. Biting his lip, Elijah turns back to the mantle. He holds a garbage bag open and sweeps the rest of the clutter into it. China tinkles against metal, and then there is a loud crack of something breaking. Every last thing is gone, taken care of. He ties the bag off, and it splits down the side. He wraps it in another bag and hauls it out to the bins. The pile of donations goes in a cotton bag and on the front porch, and he sets the little bird figurine back on the end of the mantle. The rest of the sitting room the rest of the house swims with stuff, a grotesque assortment of items tossed together by his aunt's dedicated hoarding.
0: I love Sorry. that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I love the the little moments of body horror in that with, like, Davies and the, the boil and the, like, little tiny mm. sprouting thing, which is just just a little garden friend. Yeah, just a little kink. <laughs> <laughs> um. Do you find yourself drawn to certain repeated themes or motifs in your writing? And is Lead Bitter House a good example of some of these? And why do these come up for you a lot? So there's a lot of questions in there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so in terms of themes or sort of motifs, um, yeah, so body horror comes up a lot. I'm not sure if that's a theme or like a genre, I I suppose. Um, But yeah, yeah, I tend to end up writing a lot of stuff that I think is like, oh, this is a nice story. This is interesting. And then people read it and they're like, yeah, you're writing body, body horror again. Like, thanks. Thanks for showing me that before I've had my breakfast. Like, love that. So, yeah, uh, the body horror stuff does come up a lot. Um, I think the other big thing for me is like um, descriptions of natural world. Like, so a lot of plants and animals and sort of natural features kind of being very present in the story is a big part of uh what I write yeah and that yeah so both of those sort of turn up a lot in Leadbitter House yeah
0: why do you think what's the appeal of those for you like why do you think you find yourself writing those sorts of things
1: well the body horror I think is kind of like I don't I never really think of it as body horror until I've written it and then I'm like oh yeah like um you know doing a little bit of surgery on yourself is probably uh probably body horror I'll put that in the list Um, so it's just kind of like I I don't ever I don't set out thinking like I'm gonna write some body horror I sort of start off and I'm like here's an interesting idea what what if you were doing you know this thing and then you sort of go down the garden path a bit and then it ends up with like yeah, you're going to have like a boil that has a plant growing out of it that's the perfect image for this moment so Yeah, it's just kind of, like, I I don't know, sort of permeability of the body into, like, what else is happening in the story um, is kind of the way I get there. Yeah. Hmm.
0: And what's the, um, I love the, I love the gothicness of a lot of your stories as well. And that you play with those sorts of themes and the aesthetic because you've got some interconnected short stories, right? So this is one. Yeah. And then it's all kind of set in the same universe, the same sort of Mm. world with some crossover characters and that sort of thing. Um, What was the other story that you had that was connected to this?
1: Uh, So I think the other published ones I've got are Banksia Man, uh, which is set on a nude beach and involves um, some vagina dentata and cannibalism. And the other one is Darling, You're My World, which is like a little road trip with your vampire friend um (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, so i've got i've got a few stories written in this setting um i've i think only those three are published so far though yeah
0: yeah and they're all sort of they all touch on themes of i guess could you yeah you could call it australian gothic
1: yeah i think um it is pretty important for me to sort of ground my stories in australian sort of Australianness because like obviously I don't really have any other experiences. Like and I, I feel like there's a you know when I was studying and stuff, there was a lot of sort of push of like, well if you want to write, you'll have to appeal to a mainstream audience. And that means people overseas and people overseas don't want to read about Australia unless it's set in the desert or it's set in like Sydney. You know, you've got your opera house or you've got your red dirt. That's it. There's no other options if you want to do something (laughs) if you want to do anything else move to Germany or America like that was (laughs) basically the yeah it was very it was very like um restrictive in that sense and I sort of thought like I mean I read about like you know small town America like why shouldn't they have to read about small town Australia so that's where I am yeah
0: I like that I think it's um I think there's something about the small town experience that's uh, actually quite universal though as Mm. well I think if you do come from a small town, you see that mentality, even though it's embedded in a different kind of culture, you still see that, how that works and how people Mm. work within it. I think there's something universal about that, that appeals to different, you know, you can appeal to a wider audience in that way, but also it's like, oh, this is interesting. There are cultural differences that I'm I'm kind of able to pick up on in the context of the story. And it's like, this is actually really interesting. So I think it's more of a hook as yeah. a, <laughs> you okay. know, like if you want to learn about different things. Uh, but there's also like other influences on your work as well. So what particular things in, influenced you with this story, but then in your work in general?
1: This story, Um Oh, it's been a while since I wrote it <laughs> <laughs> um, this story i'd been i I think I had just read um the Picnic at Hanging Rock, which is sort of a classic Australian gothic sort of um short novel yeah um, and I think I had not long since had my top surgery, and so I was kind of like writing this character who's who was kind of like not. Not like sort of immediately post hospital, but sort of still in recovery, and then having had like a big life change kind of thing, Um, and and so that's kind of where I came from with for Elijah as a character, Um, and sort of I I just I I, at the time I was I think I was oh I think it was like when the haunting of Hill House was on had just come out, and so I watched that I think I'd watched that and I'd also read the novel. The novella I can't remember it's it's like a short novel as well so I yeah. read Picnic at Hanging Rock and Haunting of Hill House and I kind of was like yeah what if you did have like a weird house that you know sort of a, a relative had left you and so yeah so this kind of became like you know he's had this aunt who um you know it's not explicitly said in the story but I think the aunt was probably the only person in his life who was or in his family life who was accepting of what he was doing and where he was going and so then she's passed away and the rest of the family is kind of like wait why does he get the house that's not fair so there's like this sort of um, antagonism from her her actual children who she had not gotten along with so it was kind of the two sort of outcasts of the family had sort of you know bonded and, and been quite friendly together and then she'd remarried inherited a house from her late husband and then passed it on to him and the rest of the family went well we were going to get that that's ours (laughs) Um, (laughs) which didn't work out for them yeah
0: yeah it's um yeah it's a really good story I was wondering what the um what in general is the appeal for you in terms of the gothic mode and how you choose to use that in your work so
1: I think, like, I, it it kind of just is sort of second nature when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, like, ever since I was a little kid, I was always reading horror. Like, I think I read, like, sort of my my mum's whole, like, Stephen King collection when I was 12 and I was on school holidays one year and I was like, oh, I found all these new books in the cupboard here. Let me just take those down. And I just read them one after the other, sort of lying on the spare bed, like, spare bedroom and like um so and like i you know when i was a kid i used to be able to creep like my bedroom kind of looked directly through into the living room so when when we were put to bed and my parents were watching movies i could peek out and i think the first time i saw like alien was peeking out through the through my bedroom door when i was supposed to be in bed and like probably far too young but i liked it you mm-hmm. know? um So, I've always been into sort of like horror and creepy things and sort of dark, dark fiction and stuff. And when I'm writing, it's just kind of like, (laughs) it just goes that way without really sort of trying. So, yeah. And it's kind of like, I didn't really consciously set out to be writing gothic fiction, but it just kind of really fits the way that I think when I'm writing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. I think it's just you sort of find that's part of your voice don't you i think mm. like it's just something that makes a lot of sense to write and it's just that yeah. Oh, okay
1: <laughs> yeah like, like um i i'm my current project i'm i'm working on a novella at the moment and um i didn't so i've got a i've got a writing group that i like share work with and we critique each other's work and i sent them a, uh, the a, the first part of this current novella i'm working on And I hadn't said anything about it. I was in a rush. I just sort of sent the email. Here's my piece for this week. And it's just sort of this section of like a a guy sitting in a garden, peeling an orange. And (laughs) they were like, this is going to be really scary, isn't it? I was like, oh, well, yeah, but how did you tell? And they were like, well, you didn't didn't use any scary words and you didn't say anything explicitly was happening, but there was a sense of dread in the garden. And I was like, good, that's working well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I like the little atmospheric moments where you're like, "Oh mm. crap!" <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's my favourite part.
1: Honestly, is just like I want to be able to describe a garden and say nothing overtly, but just by reading about like the flowers or whatever, you go, "Oh shit, something bad's
0: gonna happen." Yeah, yeah. You like gardens a lot, though. You write about. Mm. Um, I like, know the natural world is like a big thing for you, isn't it? Like,
1: yeah. I think cause like, you know, cause the, the town that these stories are sort of based around is based on the town I live in. And so like it, like a big part of like growing up for me was, you know, walking over to the beach and walking along the cliffs and looking at the, so we have like uh, stone quarries here. So like just big chunks taken out of the landscape. And also there's like uh, the largest um, subtropical rainforest in the Southern hemisphere is like 10 minutes that way. So you know there's a a huge variety of like natural landscapes and sort of different things that you can see but also sort of um you know backyard gardens and vegetable gardens and flower gardens and things and sort of mangroves mangroves showing up a lot because there we've got a river here that has like beautiful mangrove swamps Mm -hmm. so yeah it's all just kind of like all the stuff that I've I've liked being around and looking at and exploring sort of my whole life and it kind of Works really well for the stories that I want to write.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lovely synergy, though, as well, between like writing about plants and trees and that kind of thing, and then thinking about the permeability of the human body mm. as well. Because, like, <laughs> I was just thinking of that episode of Hannibal where everyone's like covered in mushrooms. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of the connectivity that yeah and I, I've i been reading a lot of books so I read like the the secret life of trees or the secret world of trees or something like that about how like trees and their roots use mycelium to connect and share like nutrients and communicate in tree language and whatever and I also read um the Merlin Sheldrake book the the one about mushrooms obviously I can't remember what it's called though but it's by Merlin Sheldrake uh, I think he just won an award for it which was like it's an amazingly written book, like really beautiful, and I really enjoy like reading nonfiction stuff about you know plants and the natural world and stuff, so yeah, it all kind of comes together, and I feel like it gives me a better sense of like what I can express when I know like what the real thing is. yeah:
0: Yeah, and you always tend to do it in um I'm always in awe of people who write really good contain short fiction which I think you do oh, and like oh, thank you <laughs> like you, you <laughs> kind of um have you ever written anything in a longer form or is like short fiction just where you live yeah
1: so I've written I <laughs> I've written longer things I've never really finished longer things yeah. um so I have like a third of a big fantasy novel written um I wrote a novella uh sort of um 20, 22,000 words or so, uh, which is part of this sort of collection of stories. I've got a 14,000-word novelette skulking in the shadows somewhere. Um, The one I'm currently working on, I'm aiming for about 25,000 words. Um, Yeah, so sort of I've been working on a lot of shorter fiction in the last couple of years, but I do have that novel that I do intend to finish (laughs) because it's... (laughs) Yeah, I've been, <laughs> I've been slack on that one, but um, short fiction's fun because you can just sort of jot it off, and then a lot of people go, "Oh no, why'd you show me that?" So,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like I've I've always struggled with the short form, but for a long time until like the last couple of years, and I don't know if that's just because you know some premises don't work as short stories, and some premises don't work as novels. Hmm. And you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Like, I think it's also like a completely different process, like writing a short story versus writing a novella or writing a novel. It's like, you know, in a short story, conceivably, you could sit down and finish it in a couple of hours. With a novel, it's like, no, you've got to hold the idea in your head and keep it working for the whole time it takes you to type it out. And, you know, maybe you're like, a, a sort of amazing fast rider and you do it in six weeks and that's great but I can't do that or I haven't so far you know yeah um, so I think that's for me that that's kind of the biggest hurdle is being able to hold that clarity of purpose together for long enough to actually get the piece finished um yeah
0: yeah and I think like what what is it about the short form for you that makes it a good vehicle for the premises of your work like why do you think it it works better that way
1: yeah I think a lot of the things I think of it's like um well a lot of the short stories I write it's ideas where I'm like yeah I like that as a a concept but I don't think it really has legs like I'd rather live it uh, I'd rather give it like a short you know short like flash in the pan like yeah that's great and rather than sort of like I I feel like with some of them, there's definitely the danger that I would sort of run them into the ground of, like, <laughs> yeah, this idea is great for 4,000 words, but, like, at 60,000, it's getting pretty thin, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. So I feel like it's, you know, I, I'll leave my options open. Like, I think I could, you know, there are some things where I think, like, how oh, that'll work in a longer form, but when, when, when I get to it. Um, but, yeah, I think, yeah. But also, you know, having said that, uh, no shame in redoing the same idea. If it's a good idea, it's worth doing twice. Yeah. So I could write longer things. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Just expand. But I think that's it, isn't it? Because, like, with a short form as well, you can just layer those things on. Mm. So it's more like you're building it upwards with, like, here's the premise. You've got the beginning, middle, and end. That's 4,000 words done. And then you can start kind of layering things into that. Instead of stretching it, (laughs) yeah. Thank (laughs) you. Yeah, yeah. I
1: feel like yeah. I I think that's kind of like um, with the novel that I've sort of stalled out on at thirty thousand words, which I will finish one day. It's um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's it's sort of similar ideas. It's kind of so the concept is like I was like, oh, I want to write like a fantasy story but I want it to be based on like ancient Rome rather than medieval. Because yeah. like I'd, I'd been reading a lot of nonfiction about ancient Rome and sort of that sort of thing. And I was like, Oh, but you could do some really cool weird stuff with that. The, the way that they did things and the way that they thought about things. And so that was kind of the concept for that, but that, yeah, I was finding like for sort of planning that novel, it's like, it, it is, you know, trying to stack things in rather than trying to stretch things because I I really hate you know reading a book and going like okay yeah I get it we got this like at the first you know third of the novel please just give me something new mm. I kind of want to keep building things in but have them feel like oh of course that's how the world works like that makes sense given what we've so it's a little bit complicated <laughs> is it yeah but it'll I'll get there
0: yeah I'm excited
1: I've actually got like three books about Carthage and Hannibal sitting over there like um, because uh, I I kind of got into a Punic war phase yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I find it really interesting the way that like Roman religion becomes sort of a mechanism of state control like yeah that whole thing of like no you have to do it our way because that's how we keep the state like actualized yeah
0: yeah it's really
1: creepy but also like very interesting yeah
0: yeah (laughs) Um, sorry (laughs) back to (laughs) gothicness yeah um so yeah so in your short stories like we said they're kind of you've got some interlinking ones um and i'm wondering like what the difference is between you know, so for example, instead of doing like a a series of novels in which you, you know, you kind of um, follow these arcs through and um, in a novel, you can have like B plots and all sorts of things. And so, you know, this uh, linear story. With short stories, how do you handle arcs in interlinking ones? Um,
1: Yeah, so with my short stories, I generally try to have everyone should be able to be read on its own. I think I have one or two, I think only one, actually, in the in the lot that I've written so far, which depends on having read the previous, like, three or four stories that it's related to. Um, so, like, overall, I would like to have the sort of arc that's going through the multiple short stories be completely optional. Um it's just that one story really where it it really needs the other ones to prop it up. um, So it makes sense. Um, And I think it, like, it works in the context of like producing like a coherent, like collection based on a single setting and using the same characters. I think it works for that. Um, It's not something that I think is sort of the approach that I want to be taking all the time. Like, I feel like that's kind of a one-off where I kind of thought, oh, yeah, the reason that happened was because, um, so I'd written a story about the, I, I'd written the story called Junkyard Dog, which is about some boys who come across a vampire and it all goes pretty horribly. Um, and I'd written a story about a a baby minotaur who's been yeah. raised on a farm in isolation and at the end of the Minotaur one, I was thinking like, oh, it'd be cool for the vampire boys to show up and like befriend him. And then that didn't fit. Like a lot of these things where it's like part of the interconnecting stuff, it's like, I I had the thought early on of like, oh, it'd be cool if these people showed up here, like in the background. And then it just ends up for not, for whatever reason, not working. But because I like the idea of it so much, I'm like, I could write that a story for it's of its own, you know, and sort of it's kind of kicking the can down the road and like, Bringing more stories into it, um, because it just didn't fit into what I wrote to start with. But yeah, so like Lead Bit House kind of has one of those as well. So originally, uh, there's a character for the other novella that I wrote. Uh, so the other novella I wrote in the collection is um, Outside Angels, which is about a reverse werewolf. Um, yeah, and the re- <laughs> the reverse werewolf was supposed to be a character in Led Bit House, but I sort of got to the end of Lead Bitter House and was like, "Oh, there's really no room for this here. It's just not going to work. I'll just cut that and do something else with it later." And that turned into Outside
0: Angels. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah. yeah do you, do you plan on expanding the world that you introduced in Lead Bitter House um, a little bit further? With I mean, how many? So you've got three stories now.
1: Yeah, three published, published so far. Um yeah. So I've got um. I've got sort of two novellas, a a handful of short stories, and the novella that I'm working on currently are all kind of set in the same um, world. I'm, I'm hopeful of, like, publishing the collection altogether, but uh, if it comes back from the submissions I've sent it on and isn't, there's no takers, I'm probably going to start trying to publish more of the short stories individually and then try again later for the collection. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: I do so like that Eventually. Collection. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, it's, it's eventually. It's, it's all like there's no, I don't have a time limit. Yeah.
0: Is there anything that you would like to plug or like to mention while you're here? um
1: (laughs) at the moment not really I think 2021's just been a bit of a slow year for me in terms of um publishing uh I just mainly because I haven't been sending stuff out like that's the big problem um that would be nice yeah that's that's why it's so slow I would say um check out if you haven't if you haven't read it check out unspeakable um queer gothic um anthology because that has some great stories in it uh even aside from mine Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah there's a lot of like really cool stories in that so if you haven't read it check it out
0: and also like you've got a talk um, with the Romancing the Gothic oh you did
1: yeah so um. I did a I did a talk with Romancing the Gothic um, yeah <laughs> no so I, I wrote my honours thesis about the Hannibal Lecter novels doing um, structure and characterization in the Hannibal Lecter novels which was fun and then I wrote a paper about gender specifically, which was also fun. Yeah. And then I did it for Romance and the Gothic, which was great.
0: I think that was a Sunday talk, wasn't it? Not a Saturday one. Yeah,
1: it was a short one. Yeah. It was
0: a short one. Yeah. And it was, oh, I found you. It was, is this our great becoming? Gender and adaptation yes, in the Hannibal that's it, franchise. Yeah. yeah. Yes, um, and that's, that's online it. on YouTube. So if anyone that wants is, to watch yes. that um (laughs) that was a really good one I did a live tweet of that I think that was one of the first ones I did a live tweet for oh nice yeah yeah it's great
1: yeah I think I also have like a published version of that paper in um a horror magazine digital magazine digital horror magazine something like that yeah (laughs) um yeah my memory is not great for things
0: same it's fine (laughs) words what why (laughs) oh thank you so much for that Mason that's uh, that's Ah. really lovely to chat to you yeah no worries and um I think that's all we've got time for so I will see everyone on Thursday for the next episode of 13th and hopefully everyone will have a good week bye now